Jen Bosworth Ramirez. And I'm Gina Polici. We went to theater school together. We survived it, but we didn't quite understand it. 20 years later, we're digging deep, talking to our guests about their experiences and trying to make sense of it all. We survived theater school, and you will too. Are we famous yet? I do not have cancer right now. Congratulations. <laughs> you do not have cancer at this moment. Who knows the next week? Uh, yeah, no, it was, it's been quite a thing. Like I, I, um, you know, right. My cousin Dahlia, who is what become one of my best friends in our adult lives, which is amazing. I never had any family that like, I truly liked as people. No, that sounds so yeah. terrible, but no, you know no, what I, I mean? know, I know exactly like good yeah. friends. Um, and uh, uh, she says, you know, the brain is a problem making machine and it mm. is that's, you know, it's also solves them, but to, it also creates them. And mm-hmm. look, I'm not saying that that the, that it wasn't possible that I had cancer, but like all the evidence pointed. Oh, right. The emotional evidence pointed to I had cancer. Like I made an emotional oh. case based on my past and my parent, my mom's past and my dad's past. And I made a really strong case that I had cancer in my head and look, it's possible. So that's the other thing that is so, so compelling about the human condition is that like, and what Dr. Altman used to say to me was like, look, you're not, you're not delusional. You're not psychotic. You're not, so you're not making up things that are like aliens are going to come down and take you. Your fears are based in, in things that have happened to you and other people and people you loved. So it's not as though this idea, this idea of like, you know, um, Right. It, it, it can't happen. You know, like it, I know in my body of, um, you know, my body of work that I've done in my life that th- people die all the time of cancer and get cancer all the time. As we all do, I have a more intimate knowledge just because I lost my mom from it and saw the actual process. But I'm here to say, like, if you're freaking out about things, most of the time, there are things that have happened to you or other people. So they're valid freakouts. It's just that they don't actually happen to be true all the time. So right. it's like, so weird. It's almost like you want to say, thank you, brain, for protecting me because, you know, you, you've correctly picked up on the fact that when things are sort of looking like this, it's it means something bad. But you can relax now brain right because it's not that right and it's actually not um while i appreciate you brain you're not always dealing with 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 what's the reality the truth you don't you don't um yeah you don't get unfortunately brain you don't get to you're not a psychic like you're just not right right you you have evidence and then so so i had you know for for our listeners you know like i had i've had pain and history of weirdness on my left ovary and it's really interesting the cyst that is most this is so crazy this is how this is what the brain does so i'm like okay left side i'm sure i have cancer on my left ovary like that's what's going on turns out the right one the cyst is bigger. I have one on my right. They didn't see oh, yesterday. God. 
or two days and the and the the right one is bigger and actually contains more blood and fluid i feel nothing on my right side so that is also to goes to show that even if you do have cancer it could be in a place that i don't but like you don't know where it's coming from so like even your feelings are wrong your pain body (laughs) is wrong so like you really don't know. So it was so funny. She was like, yeah, your left side, even though it's more active, there are a lot of simple cysts. So, you know, for this is like a women's health thing. Like people don't do any research. I shouldn't say that. There's not a ton of research done because it's a woman's issue. So it's not like, unless it's breast cancer, like nobody gives a shit about like women's cancer Correct. usually. So, um, cause that, that's what you know, got all the funding. So, um, so, so cysts grow all the time, all the time in women, they come and they go, those are simple cysts. If you have endometrial cysts or complex cysts, that is not, they don't come and go, they just stay. So I have several on my left side that come and go one that stays and one that stays on the right. They don't know what's actually causing the amount of pain, but they think it's probably the left one leaking. The other thing is like, I would have sworn I had a cyst the size of a grapefruit. If you would have asked me, I would have said it's probably grapefruit size. It's the, it's an inch on one of them. That's nothing, well, but it's well, probably, I mean, it's not nothing because the ovary is two inches, yeah. but like, but it, 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 you just can't always trust what your, what your feelings are. Like it's valid. You're in pain, but like, you don't know what it looks like until you know what it looks like. And I think that that's the whole thing I'm coming around to, which is just go to the freaking doctor, please. If you have the resource, even if you don't like find them, create, I don't know, like ask somebody, but like, you know, and I've gone to plenty of free clinics and they're not glamorous and they're not exciting, but they, they, they still have an ultrasound machine, you know? So, um, like get, get it, get shit checked out if you can easier said than done. But if it's an emotional fear-based response that's stopping you and not a resource-based response, you got to work through it and go, even if it is resource-based, there are, you know, there are ways around that. But like, especially if it's, you have all the resources, but there is something internally in you that is going, I don't want to know believe me, I get it, but you want to know, you really want to know. It's the only way through anything is getting the data. It's so annoying, but it's true. Yeah. I agree 100% with what you're saying. And this is why people uh, love to join cults because the fantasy, the, the thing that's being promised in a cult is there is a finite number of answers I, the cult leader, have them. There is a clear path to the number of steps that you have to take to get, you know, it, it, it's, it's everything we wish life would be predictable or you know, seemingly predictable, controlled, highly structured, you know, without a concern, like to be in a cult is to not be in a process of discovering right. what happens next. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And it's so compelling. It is so comforting to think, oh my gosh, this person and this entity knows everything. I never have to worry again. That's really what we're saying is I never have to worry about anything again. The problem is it's just make believe and you actually do have to worry because the person is usually a sociopath or a psychopath. And 
it doesn't actually do the trick. It they think you think it's going to do the trick, and it usually does the trick for a while for people. Like you know, until like our, it doesn't. Our yeah. guest Noel was talking about. Like it, it it serves a purpose until you start questioning, and then you're in real trouble because then it's like, how the fuck do I get out? Yeah, exactly. Well. I am very happy that you, I mean, I'm sorry that you've been in pain, no, but I'm happy that, it's not for some worse reason. The other thing I have to say that is so interesting that I just wanted to, to, to me anyway, that I wanted to bring up was like, okay, I may not have in the Hollywood right now in the Hollywood industry, a team of people that are like on my side, but I'm, I swear to God, my medical team has is filling that hole. So I just got an email from my cardiologist who said, your, <laughs> your gynecologist thought you were amazing, loves you. <laughs> How did it go? Like, that's the kind of messages I get from my team of medical experts. And so I real and I like started crying and I realized like, Oh, I'm not getting it from my career team. Like, I, yeah. you know, cause I've talked about getting nasty emails from potential managers and stuff like that, but I am getting it from the medical team. They're like amazing. They're like, you are the best. We love you. And yeah. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, what if, they gave, what if they gave awards for being oh, a great patient? I like would get a, something for sure. You would get like a gynae award yeah like the best <laughs> gynae patient and the and the and the statue is just like you know the, uterus, the and, uterus and, and the ovaries <laughs> yeah I mean anyway so that it was really interesting to me because I was really touched this morning when she wrote me I'm like who what doctor what and she said she yeah. thought you were amazing I was like hey that's cool well at least somewhat you know what I mean like I'll take yes. it it's so funny well the truth is you are amazing and mm. and the, the difference is with between people who know you and people who don't know you. Yeah. I mean, that's just yeah. what it is. Like yeah. when people get to know you at, at not 10 out of 10 people who know Foz agree. She's oh, amazing. Thank you. It's just, you know, you, you have to convince people to get in the door. That's it. Have, girl. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, well, what's going on with you, my friend? <sighs> okay. How do you feel uh, about all the posts? It's just, it goes on. It it's, does. It's just a saga. Yes, we should tell our listeners. We don't have to be explicit, but like you, you. Oh, I can be explicit because fuck those people. Well, you left an organization called Theater Artist Workshop, (laughs) and I left them because aside from a handful of members and everybody that was on the board, it was one of the more toxic environments I've ever been a part of. And I quit, and I'm the only one who quit effective immediately. Everybody else is staying. Two people are staying on and then the, everybody else is staying through through 2021. But when I tell you the way that people are responding, we couldn't have crafted it better ourselves if we said, let's let's create like if we were making this a, a movie sure. and this whole conflict happened, we'd say, now what's a way that people could respond that would exactly prove the point of what they were saying of why it was toxic in the first place. And to that, the fact that most people are doing that and have zero awareness. So essentially what's happening is that people are reacting to our letter that goes step-by-step and explains the ways in which we've been abused. Right. People are responding to this with a combination of don't take things so personally. Uh-huh. Sure. Of course, that's the number one abuser <laughs> thing to do. Uh-huh. And um, 
just completely invalidating, ignoring what we've said about the abuse. They, everybody finds something that's in the letter to take issue with sure. and then makes their whole thing about that sure. and says nothing of, and by the way, I'm sorry you were abused or, and, and by the way, you know, and people are saying thanks, but I'm into this thing recently of I hollow gratitude. Miss me with your hollow gratitude. Yeah. I don't care. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I do not care. Yeah. I could wallpaper my bathroom with your thank yous. Right. It's not what I need. I need you to change your behavior. Uh-huh. Absolutely. And forgive me if I said this to you already, but I'm likening it to, you know, when COVID happened and everybody puts a sign in their front yard saying, right. thank you, frontline workers. Yeah. And they're banging pots and pans at 5 p.m. in yeah. New York City. Like, and the frontline workers are going, I, I don't, thanks. I don't need your sign. Like, get vaccinated yeah. and wear your mask. Yeah. And keep your right. <laughs> and everybody's like, I know, I know. You, you're the best without we, we, a mask you know. on and like <laughs> exactly at their concert right it's exactly it's uh, that's exactly right and 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 I shouldn't be surprised we all myself included are, are kind of in a way programmed to not see our own bad behavior mm. and to not want to take responsibility but it just goes on anyway so but it goes on in a way that I can choose how much I want to engage with. Right. It and al- and no. also it's like it, to me from the outside, it's so clear that you made the right choice. If this is the response, like they just proved the, like you said, they proved the exact point there. That's insane. And, and to, and you made the right choice. Like why would you stick around and be beaten down after you've made a stand and then they continue to try to beat down? That doesn't, that's insane if you stayed like that's insane yeah yeah. to give one just chef's kiss example in our letter we we one of the things that we said was um when we tried to introduce our dei policy sure uh, the very first thing we decided to introduce was content warnings Uh and we did it in the most careful way like to to hear about a content warning about something you're going to see presented at the workshop, you have to click down right. on the email. Like you can choose not to see the content warning because right. everybody was complaining it's art and we need to right. slap people in the face with right. it, whatever you can choose whether or not. So it's literally like if, if I'm allergic to peanuts, I'm going to read every nutrition label right. because I would need to make sure. But if I'm not allergic to peanuts, which I'm not, then I don't really right. need that information. Right. It's, ex- it's right. no different than that. Right. That alone caused our first member to quit saying if he couldn't use, if he could, if he could, if he could, I mean, it wasn't even related really to the content. If he couldn't use the N word, he couldn't make theater. And in that same uh, okay. evening. Uh, bye. Yeah. You're bye. not going to make exactly. theater. See you later. Yeah. I guess you're not going to make theater. And we're all not here. You you're that. not going to do it here. Thank you. Oh, yeah. Um, two of our members who are, from marginalized societal groups got stood up or, you know, spoke that night and said the ways in which they'd been marginalized at TAW. And that, I mean, it was crickets, not one single person gave any support. And we had listed that in our, in our letter. So this email we received from one of our members last night opened with, I'm a board member of a condo complex and we recently oversaw a renovation that made our building double in value we as a board had to sit and listen to a tenant or resident whatever 
talk about the color of the paint in the laundry room for 30 minutes and he bolds and and underlines 30 all caps 30 minutes okay. it goes it goes along with being on the board and i thought okay so you're comparing people you to paint. listen <laughs> exactly you're, you're comparing compare. you're you, you, bye 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 yeah, just oh. Oh. hey let me run this by you because the thing I want to run by you this week is about secrets. Mm. I am, I'm all the way done with secrets. I'm sorry. I mean, I'm not saying like, if you tell me something in confidence, I'm not saying I'm not going to keep that a secret. That's not the kind of secret I'm talking about. I'm talking about the kind of secrets where, you know, you know, so I, I have written personal essays that reference my family as personal essays do. And you know, and I'm sure a lot of it has rubbed people the wrong sure. way. I, in particular, wrote an essay in which I compared somebody in my family to Scott Peterson. Yep. Uh, and uh, and that person let me know in the creepiest possible way, which is to say, this person. I and didn't I are know not, that. Yes, we. Uh, yeah, it just happened. We are not friends on Facebook. He's not even, to, to my knowledge, this guy has zero social media presence. Um, uh, I receive, I open my phone, there's a notification, so-and-so liked your post. My heart skipped a beat. I mean, it was like, my blood turned cold. I, I went, you had to scroll pretty far down on my timeline to find that post. Yeah. And it's the only one he liked. Are you kidding yeah. me? Your face is exactly your face of surprise. That is, is exactly the creepiest fucking I, thing. Thank you. Oh, I really appreciate you validating that. Okay, <laughs> I, that's so. It's it's because uh, two things. You're super um, intelligent, and also we like crime weirdness. But also, it's fucking creepy. It's fucking creepy. That's, not, to, that's weird. By the way, about any post, if right. anybody who I'm not friends with on right. Facebook liked one likes post. a post that's way down the feed well That's someone also t- that you're not friends with on uh, uh, yeah the whole thing is creepy the, the whole thing is 1000 percent creepy so part of the thing that i struggle with in writing personal things is airing the dirty laundry you know telling the secrets and i really do try to tell only the secrets that are mine i really try not to tell anybody else's secrets but in general, it's so exhausting to be in this perpetual state of protecting mm. a bunch of people who would never protect me. Ah, there's the key. I mean, like, I think that's the kicker, right? It's like, and I think it speaks to a bigger issue. Like, we're all protecting this in, these institutional institutions and and companies and things that are destroying us. And we've been protecting them for years. And I think it speaks to why we started the podcast unknowingly is that to protect we we wanted to stop in our way and stop protecting institutions 
that harmed us, whether some are assholes right out, some aren't, some are, but like institutions harm people. Like, I just think that that's the way, right? That's just how it is. It's capitalism. It's democracy, whatever it is, they harm people. So I think we're trying to shed some light on that and say, no, we're going to heal from that. And I don't think you can heal from it unless you, you really process it. And some of that is bringing the secrets into the light and no, and people don't like that. People don't like it. And you and I have had many conversations oh. following interviews where many. we've said, do we bleep this person's name? Do we cut this thing out? And with the exception of one person who we interviewed, who then said that they didn't yeah. want us to air the interview, nobody has said, uh, I regret saying that. Can you, and, and when they're here talking, I mean, we've encountered people feel such a, a freedom and a right. relief to fight you know, and they have no problem naming names. Right. And so it's been our thing of like, do we protect this person's identity? But the other thing is here's the, here's the part in the whole dynamic that I'm trying to own for what I do in this, in this situation about the secrets and everything. I wrote a, something personal. I published it on our website. I promoted it on social media. Mm -hmm. Theoretically, I want everybody in the world to read it except this one guy. Right. Like that's, that's my logic. There is right. really flawed. Right. Like if you're going to be brave, right. then you have to be brave. Right. You can't be brave only when it's convenient for you. Right. I, I totally agree. I mean, I, I think that and I think it's really great to have the conversations about like, okay, like who are we bleeping and why? And someone on, you know, on this podcast who we, I don't think we've bleeped, but she gets a lot of bad press as Susan Lee. Yeah, she really does get a lot of bad press. I mean, and, 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 you know, I'm like, man, should we have been bleeping her out? But but she did it. I mean, it's her, she is the person who should be carrying around the shame for her behavior. Uh, not the yeah. people who she harmed. Yeah. The, you know, it's not their, sh it, it, and that's the other thing that we have usually all the way backwards is that we make the people who experienced the pain shut up about it. Yeah. It, to, to protect the yeah. person who yeah. did the pain. Yeah. It's, right. Yeah. It's just, yeah, it's, it's all backwards. <sighs> and again, it's like, you know, she works for, she worked for an institution and they, they, you know, they should. And she grew up in a time and right. she's, and she's but, probably the victim of a lot of sexism. Like it's totally. all, it's all of a piece. Right. But the fact remains that at, at that time, maybe she's a completely different person now, but the fact remains that at that time she did and said a lot of really racist things. And hurtful in other ways. Like just, mm -hmm. I mean, I, I think uh, uh, racism is hurtful, but like other types of hurtful besides racism, just like weird shit, you know, that hurt people. And I, I mean, it's just their truth. And I think it's actually up to, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's just a, it's a, it's kind of a complicated issue and yet it's not complicated. It's like, you're right. We're just protecting the people that hurt us all the time. That's like when I got, when I got that very nasty email from, from that manager. Oh yeah. Uh -huh. My first response was, and this is interesting. My first response was to drag him through Twitter. Like I was going to put his name and say, I got this. It was so, 
hurtful. And I feel like as a woman, as a Latina, that to get this email about fucking formatting when I'm trying to break into the business is the most condescending. I wanted to drag him. And then I thought, okay, there's a difference between speaking your truth and dragging someone. I I don't know the difference exactly. Like, I, I don't know where the nuances lie that make them different, but dragging someone in Twitter versus, and I don't blame people for dragging people on Twitter either. Like that, I'm not saying like dragging people is wrong. I think some people need to be dragged. I mean, we've talked about this, yeah. like the Louis C.K.'s of the world and the yeah. Weinsteins. Who deserves to be dragged? Who doesn't? And that's really what I wrote my pilot about. But like, wh- I just didn't feel, for- I think every person has to decide if they're going to keep secrets, why, or if they're going to drag someone, why, or like put it in on social media straight up. This person did this. You have to be, I have to be prepared to deal with the full consequences if I do that. And I'm just not willing to deal with the full consequences of dragging this guy on Twitter. I'm just not, I'm just not, I don't feel certain. Now there are people where if something happened, I would work it out and I might feel certain to drag their ass, but it was interesting. I think everyone has to decide for themselves where the line is of when I'm going to expose someone to the fullest extent or an institution to the fullest extent and leave the individual out of it. I don't know. Right. Well, and you, and you don't want to do anything that's going to harm you. I mean, if you, if you were in a certain place in your life and you did like people dragging that guy would never hurt you, then you could have, you could have made that decision. Um, yeah. And I'll also just say for anybody listening who knows me in real life and, and who I've hurt and misbehaved, I I invite you not to keep that secret. You know, I, I invite you to drag me if it's something that, I mean, for the thing, for my, for the sins of my past, if anybody is you know, holding on to that and never has told me or whatever, like, I'd rather hear about it. I'd rather know and try to make amends and to part so that I feel that I have the right to participate in this keeping those secrets, telling the truth culture that I really try to, you know, I really try to stay within for right. the most part. Right. Um, so wow. I forget. I was going to say something else, but All I, right. I that's a lot like that. I I just feel like yeah this whole this whole notion of oh, keeping keeping you know and they say in program like you're only as sick as your secrets and I think it's really true and I think there's a way of of working through the secret that won't bring further harm to yourself versus 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 doing something that exposes you further yeah. You know what I mean? Yes. And brings and right. bring could bring more abuse or you have to look at, I mean, you know, like it's like, except when to do so would injure yourself or others, mm-hmm. but, yeah, the injury, right. but, 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 dra- but dragging is about sort of injuring others in a way. I don't know. It's like really interesting. I don't know. You know that, you know, that saying, or I think, I don't know if you call it a, call it a saying, is it kind? Is it truthful? Yeah. Is it necessary? Yeah. Well, I, I know you're supposed to aim for all three. Yeah. But- to my way of thinking, you really just need two out of the three. <laughs> it can be truthful and necessary, like talking about Harvey Weinstein. Yeah. It's not kind, but that's okay. Yeah. It didn't need to be kind. Um, so 
Yeah. So that, yeah. that's, that's, and that also, tends to be my barometer is uh, if it can't be kind, at least it has to be truthful and necessary. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. And I think that's, I think for me, the necessary part, it's like, okay, can I, can I proceed to function as a, a, you know, trying healthy human being without doing this? Or do I need to do something about this to proceed and live my life and feel like I'm living in integrity and that I'm, I'm doing the right thing by, by me. And sometimes you just, and, and also, also, right. Sometimes people, people get, get hurt. Yeah. But they also didn't think about that when they were abusing others. So I, yeah. I yes. Mean, oh yeah. That's the other thing that came out with this, uh, board thing, yeah. you know, when we were writing the letter, uh, somebody said, okay, so this is, we acknowledge this is scorched earth. You know, this is a scorched earth thing. Which I'm very, that is how I think about things a lot. I, I, I tend to think about scorched earth, but I, it occurred to me when she said this, how come nobody's ever worried about scorch, um, scorching the earth with me? Right. How come no, no one's ever worried about burning a bridge with me? Yeah. You know, like, yeah, maybe it is scorched earth, but if you, if your takeaway from what I've said to you is that I'm the asshole, that's yeah. fine. I right. don't care. That's right. completely fine. Right. Go. Right. I wish you well on your journey. Right. Um, it wasn't for you, I guess, right. for this letter. It was for me to say to you. <laughs> I mean, if you didn't want to receive it, that's your business. Right. right. Yeah. Today on the podcast, we're talking with Chisa Hutchinson. Chisa is a graduate from Vassar and NYU, and she's a teacher, she's a playwright, she writes for television, and um, we found our conversation with her extremely focusing and motivating. So please enjoy our conversation with Chisa Hutchinson. Oh. Hi, good morning. Oh, Where <laughs> are you? Which coast are you on? Are you on the, you're east, on the coast. east coast? Okay. Mm-hmm. Guess mm-hmm. what? I just had to pause watching to come talk to you. Your movie, your amazing movie. You're watching my Yes, movie. yes. Oh my God. I'm in the scene with the mother right now. And I, Oh. Yes, it's so good. It's so good. Yeah, yeah that's what. Yeah, people are. I, you know, it was so funny because when I wrote, I wrote it as a play initially, and I was when I was writing that part, I was like, "This is why people don't like theater." <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "It's just two people talking, like whatever. Oh. People are gonna be so bored." But like, I don't know. Everybody seems to like really be engaged by that part so yeah oh no yeah there's nothing boring about this movie it's called the subject everybody go check it out (laughs) but before i forget chisa hutchinson congratulations you survived theater school you survived two theater school (laughs) two fancy theater school well yeah sort of okay so i went to vassar college for undergrad um (laughs) yeah which was interesting because i knew it was a good theater program um, but I didn't know that it was mostly geared toward writers and directors when I, when oh. I signed on. <laughs> so there was like literally one dramatic writing class. Oh. 
taught by a screenwriter who was like, oh, yeah, I guess you can write plays if you want. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> right. so I didn't really, like, learn much about the craft of playwriting while I was there, but um, but I had a good time, and I did a lot of independent study, <laughs> mostly with in- the English department and the Africana Studies department, um, just to, like, you know, learn about plays theater you know scripts plays that weren't you know Shakespeare mm-hmm. or Ibsen or Chekhov or whatever right mm-hmm. <laughs> so um so that was undergrad and then I um worked for a few years as an, a high school English teacher Whoa. my yeah, mom was a high school then, English teacher and was it was intense where did you teach where did you teach? <laughs> it is I taught at um, Westtown School, which is a Quaker boarding school in uh, Pennsylvania, just like 45 minutes southwest of Philadelphia. And then um, I taught at Sage Hill School in Southern California, Orange County, California, which was like a whole other planet. Okay. Like I felt like a, a whole ass yep. alien like, <laughs> living in Orange County, California and teaching there. Yeah. yeah it was I feel like yeah. the 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 cultural translation from the East Coast to Orange County might be one of the biggest rifts mm-hmm. <laughs> chasms mm-hmm. that there is. It there it's quite quite different. Um I was just going to mm-hmm. say you're you're the first guest that we've had on and we've had many that I've been like really sort of um no, not that I'm not excited to talk to everybody else, but your your I was telling Gina before this that your bio is the greatest written bio I've ever read in my life. So I, I told her I'm the queen of queries. Like I write a badass query letter, like, but you are the baddest ass of bios. Like I, I love that stuff because for me, they're usually so damn boring. boring. But you're, and same with queries. Like I'm, I love to write a good query because yeah. it's kind of a challenge. How, that bio is uh, you write it like in a second how I mean I know it's a little thing but it's a really important thing to me because I wrote it so long ago I don't even remember but I just wanted to I was like oh well you know there's going to be plenty of chance to send the short dry you know in you know like formal bio so I was like I want my website to be you know, I want the bio on my website to be, you know, to give a sense of like who I am as a person, uh, you know, I, I feel so, like I, yeah. I, I was like, I, uh, with, and, and it's an, it's a, it, the words are economic. It's not like it's like this long thing, but it's really <laughs> short and it's also so compelling. Anyway, I just, I just, that's like my, yeah, just, <laughs> just, just, yeah. I, from So it's, every, it's on her website, everybody, com. You can check it out for yourself. It's very <laughs> so funny. Good. It's, yeah. It's anyway. very good. Okay. So by the time you got to, t- I mean, so what I understand your uh, grad school choice was rather intentional to be about playwriting and you picked maybe probably the, one of the best schools um, did that. Oh, or maybe you yeah. disagree. Funny story about the, no, no, I loved it. Oh, okay. no, no, no. I absolutely loved NYU. I probably learned more in one semester there 
than I did for years. <laughs> that, I'm sorry. I feel like I'm talking smack about Vassar. I'm really not trying to like smack talk Vassar. It's just, it's really, um, I think they're doing better now. They've hired a, a playwright that I really love um, to teach playwriting there. So that's, I think, progress. Um, She's all but undergrad. You know, We've had the thing where it's like, I, I'm coming to the, the um, sort of realization that a lot of undergrads are kind of like, well, we'll give it a shot. We don't have a awesome uh, program. Yes. But we're gonna really we'll yes. give you something. Good luck, and then you'll go to yes. grad school and really yes. learn. I mean, that's how I kind of feel. So I know you're not talking okay, smack cool. about grad. Good. About because undergrad. I was, I really, no, I don't want to like no, 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 because no. I really had a wonderful right. time at Vassar. Right. It was a great, a great place, and I learned through experience, just not so right. much through the curriculum. Right. <laughs> um, and then NYU. Um, <laughs> It was literally the only grad school I applied to, and it that was because I had um, I had a, a workshop production. It was my very first workshop production um, of a play ever at a professional theater company. Um, well, not really, but the Lark Play Development Center, which has since I know um, I just saw they closed. Yeah, they just closed, and it makes me so sad because that place was like. American Idol for playwrights. Like it was the place people knew to like go to the Lark. The Lark and New Dramatists are like the two places that everybody knows like, okay, you want to find the next hot playwright, go to this place, right? Um, so I had my very first production of a, of a full-length play um, at the Lark and they hooked me up so hardcore. I mean, with so many different people who I still work with to this day. Like I, I love the Lark. Like everyone I met at the Lark, I've kept, and I keep working with them. But the game changer was they set me up with Tina Howe as a mentor. I don't know if you know yeah, her. we did. I did one of her plays in, in theater school. Of course, yeah. you did. Yeah. That woman is a genius and a, a wacky genius. Like she. Okay, first of all. She's like, I think back then she had to be in her like late 60s, early 70s. I don't even know. Nobody knows how old Tina Howard is. So, <laughs> so she um, is like this waspy, like proper wasp of a woman of a certain age, you know, who apparently responded like exuberantly to my, to my play. She like girls, which, which is about like young, you know, teenage inner city lesbians, you know, like, so it was really weird to have her be like, this is a wonderful play. I love it so much. But what she responded to was like, I have like surreal elements in that play. And she was, um, she, she, you know, she's all about that surreal stuff. So um, they set me up with her. They were like, you should have dinner with her after, you know, your, your presentation. And I was like, yeah, yeah, cool. So I had dinner with Tina Howe. And we just like talked and talked and talked until it got so late that I was like, oh shit, like I'm about to miss my last train back to New Jersey. And she was like, oh, oh no, you will do no such thing. You will not, you are not taking the train back this late. You are coming home with me. <laughs> and you're going to stay in my daughter's room. She's away at school. And I was like, oh, okay, Tina Howe. So I had a sleepover with Tina Howe. And we woke up and she made me breakfast and she's just talking. She's, hey, do you, do you have an MFA? You need an MFA. I was like, no, Tina, I do not have an MFA. She was like, well, you have to, you have to apply to grad programs. If you're going to apply, you should apply to NYU. I know some people at NYU. My best friend works at NYU. 
and you should apply and I'm going to write you a letter of recommendation and you're going to go to NYU. Oh my gosh. And I was like, what is happening? So literally I put together, like I found out that the damn deadline for the application was literally the next day. So I put my application together in a day and like hand delivered it to the Department of Dramatic Writing. <laughs> and I and crossed my fingers and was just like, all right, well, Tina Hal told me to yeah. apply. So I'm applying. And I got in. I got in with a full a full a full ride. And um yeah, I had just an amazing I love my professors there. They were so dope. And what they do is they make you write. Um so I concentrated in playwriting. Um, which was a really smart move, apparently, because playwrights are like hot shit in Hollywood right now. Um, but yeah, I concentrated in playwriting, but they make you write in other mediums also, as you know, that's mandatory. You have to also take TV writing. You have to also take screenwriting. Um, yeah. And that is, it turns out, is a very smart way to structure your dramatic writing right. program. Because we're all working everywhere now, you know, like there's no, there's so much, you know, cross fertilization happening. Um, Yeah. That's fantastic. So we only know about the playwriting program at, I think, one other school. So at Tisch, did you, did you write stuff that then got produced there? by the students? I mean, like acting plays that didn't That is the only thing that they don't, because they're not, what they try to do, um, they do have like one collaboration class where they bring in, they try to bring in as many professionals as possible because they want like the one sort of student variable, like the one factor, you know, to be student and everything else to be professional. So they would bring in professional directors and professional actors for us. Um, and it wasn't, um, y- y- yeah, it, it, it was it was a little bizarre because it felt like you were just siloed <laughs> um, from these people that you should be probably, you know, be making connections with. So it was a little odd in that respect. But I see, I get the philosophy behind it. Like I get that they're like, we want to minimize the... <laughs> <laughs> minimize the, the or I guess maximize the professionalism of it. Right. I mean it's it's it just sounds like a really like super badass program that I I have a friend um a playwright friend named Michael Allen Harris. I don't know. Anyway, he just graduated from and loved it. Loved it. Loved it. And now and I have this thing of going to um, a lot of grad schools. She's I'm like, to a lot I'm of like, grad schools. Now I'm like, I have a master's in counseling psych. I started a a, a screenwriting program, then dropped out because they were assholes. And then but I'm like now I'm like NYU grad school. I mean you know, but anyway, um I I love this idea that you okay. Cause I'm, I'm in LA right now and there's a lot of people that are like, and playwrights are hot shit in Hollywood. Right. But I love the idea that you didn't go into playwriting to try to be a hot shit in Hollywood, unless you did. And I'm just making that. Shit no, up. I just really like live theater. It just, it's a medium that just affords you so much nuance and like, there are just so many idiosyncrasies, you know, like it's, you can do things. And I literally teach a class at the University of Delaware um, 
I call it writing in 3D. <laughs> um, it's a, just a playwriting class. But what I do is I make them do small, you know, short writing assignments. And each assignment is focused on some aspect, um, some some topic, some theme, some something, right? Some element that um, just takes on a whole other texture when it's live. So like the first assignment that they get is like nudity, right? Which, come on, you know, like it's, you know, we see titties all day long on the screen, like, and it's no, no big, right? But like, in a live theater, that's a whole other thing, right? Like nudity, you suddenly you're like forced to really think about the significance of the nudity when it's like right there in your freaking face, right? So nudity, um, silence, silence in a theater is different from silence anywhere else you know like you can't really do silence in a novel <laughs> you know what I mean or like I mean you could but right. it's like well yeah it's a blank yeah. page right so the uh with uh, audience participation like you literally can't do that anywhere else you know so um yeah each assignment I really try to get um my students thinking about the possibilities that you know they can take advantage of in in theater that they can't really get anywhere else um you're just making me think of something that makes me so sad which is that a lot of us do approach just anything performance related through theater because mm -hmm. it is so singularly special um, and then as you have this line in your bio, you write these plays that have more than five characters and deal with themes of race. So they're probably never going to get produced. And actually the way, the way I met you was at the national new play network in Sacramento. I mean, I met you like passing hello, um, where they did a staged reading of your play America, which was amazing. Has that ever been produced? That is literally, it was, has been postponed twice, pandemically postponed. <laughs> Um, but it's where I'm going to start rehearsing for that in January at Alley Theater in Houston. Oh, that's fantastic. I'm really happy to hear that. So, you know, so theater gives us all of these things that we can't find elsewhere. And then there's zero money spent on it so that people like you only end up getting to do, you know, bring their brilliance, not only, but you, you, you get paid by bringing your brilliance to film and television. It's just kind of sad, you know, that there's, it's not a viable option to really make your living as a playwright. It is. It is. I, I, I'm not, if I knew how to fix it, <laughs> right. Um, I, I would, but you know, I think we just, we just do the best we can. And every day I wake up, you know, feeling great. I mean, even on a, <laughs> even on a shitty day and I've had some pretty shitty days um especially like this past week or so um where I mean just just where you just feel gutted and you know come out and or whatever and you're like and you just want to crawl into a cave but then I'm like bitch get over right. it like you are literally like it's sitting in a house that you bought with words. Wow. You know what I mean? Like you're, you're, you're doing okay. Yeah. You're doing okay. And the fact that I get to do what I like um, in whatever capacity, really, right? Like, okay, theater doesn't pay me enough to live on, but screen, you know, screenwriting yeah. does. Or um, I get to teach. Like, I get to talk. I get to sit around for hours. <laughs> 
every week just telling young people like and here's why words are cool yeah. you know like that's what i get to do like that's that's some crazy shit and then they get all excited and then they like present their work in class and i oh and then they get all like um ex- they get attached to each other's characters Aww. and things you know like when they're reading when we're reading in workshops and it just ah, it just like tickles my soul so like why you know why why would i be that about really anything <laughs> can i ask you a question about the the guttedness of um so did you say I, I you sort of brushed over it but like the the guttedness of did you say reviews like of your film oh god okay yes. okay so here's my question here's my question because you're someone that's working in the industry that i am like oh my god you know because i'm me i'm like they've got it made you know whatever it's garbage <laughs> i know but um when a review, because we talk a lot about on this podcast about resilience, or and I'm obsessed with the idea of resilience mm-hmm. or bouncing back, whatever you want to call it. What happens inside you that you're able to say, "Bitch, keep going"? Um, like, what is that moment for you? Because I'm, I had a week where an asshole said some assholey things, as they do, yeah. and then I had to like regroup and keep on with my my situation. So, what if for you? How do you do that as someone? you know, how do you do it? Um, okay. So this is a thing that comes with time. This writing shit, like it's a war of attrition. It's, it's really, um, really only the people who stick around are the ones who get to succeed on any level, really. Right. So if you stick around long enough, <laughs> right. Um, if you just don't let when someone kicks you in the face, right, you just kind of have to be like, fuck it, and get up and, and keep walking. Um, what 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 did it for me? Um, I think it was like the third or fourth, like, mixed review that I got in the Times um, for a play production. And, and then I thought, bitch, this is, this is your fourth review in the time, yeah. you know, and the, and only one of them was like really good, you know, like an, of all the reviews that I've gotten and I'm picking on the times because of course that's the one that everybody sees. Right. But like whenever, um, you know, the reviews come out and some of them are like really effusive and wonderful and that's like fuel and it's, and it's awesome. They're usually on the like really rinky dink, like, yeah. <laughs> platforms with like you know 300 followers right but but um you're like oh somebody gets it you know like somebody somebody out there gets what I'm trying to do um too bad those somebody's are not the ones with the giant platforms but it's okay um and so you read those and you absorb them but then like if you just sort of take a step back and like I you know like I did and realize you know these reviews aren't actually keeping me from getting work I mean, it would certainly help to have a great review, right? Um, in some, you know, in the whatever the Washington Post, whatever, right? Like whatever big, um, whatever big platform, it would certainly help to have a great review. But I'm still working. Like I still get work, even if you know I I haven't been anointed by the New York right. Times, right? Like we're even great. So it it really is just a matter of like hanging in there like I, I hate no, to say it, but I like, love that because 
because that is something that I and we have control over is hanging in there versus Mm -hmm. having control over whether whoever at whatever paper or whatever, whatever loves me. I have no control over that, but I can control whether I hang in there or whether it's worth it to hang in there or not. So that's actually something you Mm -hmm. can actually do. So I like that. Mm -hmm. It's like, I can do that. Mm -hmm. It, and I'll work on the next thing. Just be working right, on the next. Just keep thing. writing. It just so happens that when I find that I like get over bad reviews the fastest when I'm already in the middle of the next project. Sure. Um, so like right now I'm working at. So the, you mentioned the subject um, just got released this past week. Last last week. Oh my god, that was last week. <laughs> um, we just had our our premiere party a week ago already but um yeah and the reviews have been mixed you know some people like really get it and some people I'm like you are completely missing the point like you're completely missing the point and it's very frustrating um but I don't even really have time to be too concerned about it because I'm all like I'm literally in a writer's room for a Hulu show right now so I've really I'm and my revision actually is due today <laughs> I have to like <laughs> I'm going to have to like, um, you know, I, I was right in the, I have like 10 more pages that I need to trim. Um, but yeah, I, I can't, I don't, I don't have time to wallow. I just, you just got to be like all up in the next thing. Already. But it does make sense that review, I mean, reviews are, mm, people have feel, all kinds of artists have feelings about reviews, but it really makes sense that a writer would have a hard time, you know, just for example, ignoring reviews because your life is about mm-hmm. words and that's what, that's what's happening in a review is that people are assembling words to, to decide, yeah. you know, pass judgment on whether or not you have something interesting to say. Yeah. Which And because like when you write about something personal or when you write about something about which you're passionate, that it feels so, it feels like they just took a knife to your heart, you know, like it, just, it feels so... Like, yeah, let me just uh, swallow my pride with a chaser of napalm, you know, just yep. like, bur- like it just burns you on the inside and you, you just, it feels like you're never going to get over it, but you will, you do, you do the next thing and, um, yeah, fuck those people. Yeah, I mean, really, I mean, ultimately it's like you know fuck you and goodbye and good luck and onward, but I love the idea of moving, um, I always be um, because people used to tell me like just keep writing and I'd be like go fuck yourself because I I don't want to keep writing I want someone to like my last project not think about that but it's true like if I can shut up and 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 stop feeling sorry for myself I I, look it feels good to feel sorry for for myself for a little bit but I feel like Mm -hmm. if I can actually uh do something rather than ruminate and create more work then the sting comes out of it just because simply there's not enough space in my brain to keep thinking about what Joe Schmo said in my in his last email so it, it is that it's just like focus on the writing, you know, sounds so easy to do, but it's actually for me, a, a self-preservation thing to keep writing instead of ruminating on all the things that went wrong with the last, the last project yeah. or whatever, you know? Yeah. And I'm very lucky also to be doing this in a time where there's um, Instagram and TikTok because I have like, literally I have like a, a little 
collection of videos specifically that I watch <laughs> just to, that no matter what the hell is going on, like they always make me laugh. Yeah, oh, oh yeah, I yeah, love yeah. that. They always make me laugh. Mine is the snow just... guy shoveling. Have you seen? Okay, so this is an old one, but it, it, if anyone out there has, uh, um, <laughs> there's a guy trying to shovel snow and he cannot get it together and he keeps falling and it's sort of a metaphor for my mm-hmm. life and he just keeps and at the end he just goes fuck it and sh- throws that <laughs> shovel and there's someone filming his neighbor is filming cracking up but quietly not trying to make fun but like in a way that's like man we have all been there the dude cannot shovel to save his life and i was like that i relate to that shit because it's just like you're just shoveling and falling in your own shit and falling and someone's about going way to go i feel you so the tiktoks i i i that's a really good thing to do you keep them for when you feel bad you watch them or just whenever yeah man when i'm just like too sad for words you know i just need to watch a video of big fluffy dogs (laughs) tripping down the stairs and you know with the voiceover that's like cursed it just oh my god yeah it gets every time yes every time I um, love it. I want to see it. I'm going to look it up. It's a dog cursing, like a voiceover. There's this, like, I really wish I, yeah. Okay. And he's like this, there are three, three big fluffy fucking dog. Like you just want to like squeeze them. They're so fucking big and fluffy, you know? And they're like, there are these shallow <laughs> stairs, shallow concrete stairs outdoors, right? There are like three or four stairs. And they're running along the top the top stair um, about to make their way down. But because the, the coloring and the, you know, how shallow, because of the way the stairs are built and the color, you don't, if you have no depth perception, right. Which those dogs clearly do not. um, It's hard to know that it's not just like ground that is going to go. So they're just running along the stair. And one of them, the one in the front is like, Oh, I can't wait to the, and then (laughs) I can't wait to get to the, and then he goes, oh, shit, <laughs> <laughs> like tumbles down the stairs. Okay, we're going to have to tread a link yeah. to that in our yeah. show notes funny. so people can check it it's out. the funniest thing. I mean, I will, I will send that to you because it's hilarious. It cracks me up every single time. I'm also time. obsessed, and okay. you're making me see why fails are so important. Like, I love <laughs> fail videos. I watch news bloopers yeah. all day long. Because what it is, is people trying their best to be really yeah. sincere and be like, and to I'm, take themselves so seriously. And I'm right? going to do my job. And then all of a sudden the chair falls out and they're like still trying to do their goddamn job. And they're like, and anyway, on the news. And you're like, and I love it because I feel like that 90% of my fucking life. I feel like I'm like, yeah. I can still do this while my legs are being taken out from under me. So anyway. TikToks and fails, yeah. yes, they are worth something. They yeah. are really good. I'm that's sorry, I kind of distracted us. I'm so sorry. No, 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 that's okay. No, but that's how, <laughs> no, but it's, I mean, it's germane. It's on the topic of survival. It's, we all have ways of surviving the everyday banalities and everyday horrors of life. So you, um, right before we talk, started talking to you for the podcast, we always do a, another section of just us talking before. And we were talking about secrets and we were talking about, you know, especially as it pertains to your profession and personal writing, the dangerous territory that you start navigating 
when it gets into the territory of like family secrets. And I don't mean, uh, you know, so-and-so whatever cheated on his wife. I just mean maybe more like a thematic secret where we're protecting this abusive behavior. We're protecting this abusive personality. And I recently in my life made a decision to stop doing that in, in, in multiple arenas, but specifically in one. Mm -hmm. And my awakening about it is all about, I'm not holding anybody else's secrets anymore. It's not, Mm -hmm. if you don't want me, if you don't like that about me, then you probably need to reevaluate your relationship with me. Mm -hmm. I'm done holding on to other people's secrets. And actually your movie touches on that a lot. Um, And I'm just curious about your own relationship, professionally speaking, to secrets and how you navigate that. The difference between saying, or the potential chasm between saying something that's really true for you and saying something Mm -hmm. that could somehow hurt you in the future. Mm. (laughs) I'm like, wow, that's like, that's so serious. That's a serious question. I'm kind of with you as far as um, like like my husband, for example, he knows he has known from year one (laughs) when we first started dating that like if it's happening to you while I know you, (laughs) like if it's happening between us, like that shit's par for the like, like that's like that's that's fodder. Like I'm going to I will use that. Like as, and I don't care if it really sort of is a little unflattering to you. Um, Okay, so for example, I wrote, I wrote a book called 101 Reasons to Not Breed. Yes, love Mm -hmm. it. One of the reasons is like, kids are fucking messy. Like they're just messy as shit, right? Um, So what I did was, I don't have kids. I don't want kids. I'm very clear on this, right? Um, but I do have a husband who just doesn't even see mess anymore, doesn't realize when he's like leaving stuff. So I literally just spent a good few months just taking pictures Fantastic. of messes that he left around. The, I mean, ridiculous fucking mess, like socks on the kitchen yes. counter, dirty yes. socks on the kitchen. I'm like, what the fuck? Did, yeah. How did you? That doesn't even make any idea? sense, but okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I will take a picture of the toilet that you did not clean, yes. you know, yeah. after you blew it yep. up. Right. You know what I mean? Like, I will put, I will literally put your shit on. Yeah. Like, I will put your shit out there for the world right. to see if you don't you need to start cleaning up after yourself, goddammit. Right. Like, so that's okay. Like, that's a kind of a funny you know, version of, of, of that. Right. But there are some other things. There are other things. Um, I mean, in the same book, I actually talk about my mother, my biological mother who, um, gave me away when I was three. Um, but like before that, I mean, some of my earliest memories are of her, like beating the shit out of me, you know, um, her and my stepdad beating the crap out of me (laughs) at three, you know? Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't, I have never had qualms about, put, I'm like, you didn't have qualms about putting your fist to my my little face, right? So I'm not going to have qualms about like 
putting that out there and trying to turn it into a positive in case there is someone else out there who is feeling some type of way about the fact that their mother abandoned them or whatever, you know, like, I just want to let you know, like, I'm connecting with you, right? You are not alone, right? Um, And, you know, you find your family where you can. And that's sort of the message of the book is that you don't actually have to, like, grow crotch fruit, right? Or, um, Or even honor the fact that someone grew you, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Um, in order to to have family and to, and to feel that, that familial love. Yeah. Um, so that's what the book is, is supposed to do. Did you say grow and a crotch root? Fruit. Oh, crotch, crotch fruit. fruit. Okay, I love it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I will, I don't, there's really no such thing as a secret with mm-hmm. Okay, you don't, you don't have a, 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 a more a quandary about it. You just go straight no, and, you do the, and you just no, tell I the not. story. I do, I will let people know though, because I, I, I don't want to, you don't want to be a bad art friend, right? Like, <laughs> I, I, will, yeah. I can't believe we didn't talk yeah. about bad art friend on this podcast. Man, like, I will let you know. I'm like, hey, look, because I let my husband know. I'm like, look, I'm putting, you see these pictures? Yeah, you see all this shit you left around the house? Yeah, I took pictures of all of it and it's going in the book, right? Like, he knows. Right. Um, his, you know, his stuff. I just, or I'll ask if there's something like, I'm like, all right, how, all right, how do you feel about me? Because here's why I'm thinking it will serve the story really well or um here's why I think it'll help other people connect with it or you know what I mean like I I'm I'm very clear on like why I need a particular thing mm-hmm. why I need to expose it's specific or air it's not vague dirty laundry right whatever. right right um, specificity so and as long as I can voice that like most folks are okay with it well, what really cracks me up is when the people don't even recognize themselves well. in your <laughs> Oh right, they'll or they'll they'll tell they'll tell you the character that they know you meant to be them, and it's not it's, it's like you a know, favorable character, and it's not who you are. Yeah, they're good. No, that ain't true. Okay, yeah, that's not right. true. I I have a question as it relates to like, and I I told Gina before this I was going to ask you this. So, um, I I I sent a, a letter to someone a query, and um, I said like I'm a Latina, I'm a middle aged woman, I'm getting into television, blah blah. Anyway, I got a horrific crazy response and my initial response was to drag the motherfucker on twitter but i didn't do it what what do you think about i I don't even know if drags the right word out whatever it is it was a terrible (laughs) situation that i felt and my first response was i'm gonna get this motherfucker i did not do it i did not do it but what do you feel about people that are go go on social media or groups or whatever i just what are your thoughts on saying on 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 doing that um because people are doing it a lot you know and and i don't i i don't necessarily gina and i talked about like i'm not sure it's a terrible thing i just it wasn't right for me to do in that moment also because it's not it's not a terrible thing but it's it's not a great i mean it's not for everyone like i i don't really do it so much because I feel like it's giving them too much power or it's um it's that thing of like okay yeah dwell dwell on it for five minutes and then move on like that because that's that's really how you can get back at those motherfuckers right is to just like go on with your life and be happy and you know find joy elsewhere right like that's and you know to to dignify their their fuckery with 
you know, your strongly worded Facebook post, right, <laughs> is what is it doing? You know, right. <laughs> I mean, it, it might make you feel better. It might make you feel better just to kind of like get it out there. It also might help you connect with, you know, other people who have experienced a similar thing, right? And, you know, maybe they were feeling isolated or alone in their, in their failure or in their whatever it is, right? Um, so, I mean, it, I'm not going to say it doesn't have its uses, right? But as far as like, is it getting back at that person? Probably not. And also, whatever, like, right? Yeah, like, that's the thing. I really, I'm just, I'm, and this is a lesson that I'm really just now getting around to, like, learning in a in a sort of visceral way. Is that like nobody cares? Nobody gives a fuck. I literally just today, well, yesterday, um, posted because I saw on uh, IMDb the subject. There are a couple of, um, and it's really just a couple. Like, there are a couple of really awful i mean people just users who were just like you know clearly expecting it to be a comedy because jason biggs is in it or something and yeah make movies fun again you know and i was just like oh dude and they're the ones who who will take the time (laughs) to like post a review or post their their i can't even call them thoughts because they would have to be thinking they would have to have a brain right Um, but I did, like, I went on Facebook, like the closest I'll come is like, I went on Facebook and was like, Hey y'all, look, (laughs) if you enjoyed the movie, like, please rate it, please post a review because these guys, like their opinion shouldn't be the stand in for everybody else's. Right. And that's, that's really about as close as I'll come. But even that I'm like, I was torn about doing that because I'm like, doesn't even does it even matter like really yeah. does it even matter and it gets back to this whole thing about reviews because i saw your post and it, and it's specifically men over 45 or something like that yeah and i thought yeah, yeah but who else is writing these things but men over 45 like i'm guilty of loving something and then not writing it down anywhere that i love it because because mm. it's so it's such an it has become such an important part of art making like how are people receiving it and is it getting enough views and is it getting enough you know clicks and to me it's always just like the person who who wants to take their time when, when it's not positive to tell you that you put your heart and soul into something and they didn't care for it. I don't I don't understand the impulse actually. This is the biggest demographic of voters by the way, I think, too. Like I I'm mm-hmm. just saying like these are people that like really when they feel something they feel really entitled to just like trash it or the I think the 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 maybe the rest of us are so busy surviving we don't write nice reviews. I don't know, but I started to write good reviews because I realized that for people oh, yeah. for people in that are trying to make projects, whether it's in the arts or not, that it actually matters that the rest of us speak up because those voices like you're saying don't need to be the loudest because they're not they're not the only voices out there. They're just people that take the time to click away. Same with the guy who right. took the time to use his time to write me a nasty because email. their opinion matters, you know, like like they're, but they they have a sense of self importance that I think the rest of us right. do not. Um, right, and I'm just like, ah. right, right. <laughs> so I think you I know. think the way to counter it is for the rest of us to start 
for me anyway, because I'm I'm guilty too of like not when something is great, not saying like, hey, I love this product, even if it's a candle. Like we have a friend that makes candles, you know, and Gina, you posted about it. That matters. That's that it, it's like I, I got to take time out of my day, even though I'm busy hustling and all this stuff to like support the things that I do like so that the yeah. loud, loud ass old white dudes don't just get to have the, the whole market cornered on reviews like come on yeah. or whatever so i think it's or you know to bark the thing that i like out of existence right like because that is a thing that can happen too right. there's a perception that like oh well nobody wants this right but the only people who have been <laughs> you know it's uh, right it's, it's, right it's like it's, oh this movie been- this movie um, or this project or whatever didn't do well no no it actually did fine it was just that the people that were screaming the loudest and felt entitled to scream you know people we think that mm-hmm. we give them importance so it's like the, we have to take back the the importance of like you know the other voices it just goes about like yeah. other voices in the room that aren't aren't being heard let people know when they're doing a good job yeah i mean i've literally okay places i've written to that include haagen-dazs to let them know and this was back before like (laughs) email you know contact via email was like a good right you know like a a common thing i wrote them a letter like an actual letter to let them know that their green tea ice cream is fucking delicious (laughs) and that it's they should continue to make it. And then <laughs> you wrote a letter, you got a stamp. I wrote a, I wrote a letter and I wrote another letter to the Evansville Regional Airport. In Indiana? In Evansville. In Evansville, yeah. Indiana. Because I love that freaking airport. Because every time I go there I have awesome experiences. I once left my laptop on a plane in the pocket. Mm-hmm there and they got it to me on christmas like oh that is some cool shit that there's always like the 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 planes are always on top the the luggage is always like right there when granted like the friggin airport is you know big as my house right like but like the the luggage is always like waiting for you when you get off the plane already and it's just it's just like and the people are so friendly and I just love it so much so I've written them I think I've wrote them twice actually to let them know like how awesome I think the airport is but you know what I mean like you like you just want people to know that they're doing a good job um Yeah, because then they will continue to do a, a good, good job, job. Right. especially when they know that somebody's <laughs> noticing and appreciating yeah, it. Right? Yeah, right. Like when you feel valued, when you feel like your effort like actually meant something to someone, that's a beautiful thing, man. And I, you know, I really try to Yelp is like my fave because I'm just like this is my favorite yes. place. If, you know, I yeah. do the same like, thing, and people think I'm favorite. bizarre. Like I love like my little. Um, massage place that doesn't get any 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 (laughs) excitement in Pasadena and I like wrote like a three-page essay on why Zoe the massage therapist was like my spirit new spiritual advisor and they gave me you know they were lovely and they gave me a free massage out of it so it's like all the way around and they're like yeah they're like you know Zoe you know Anyway, so we appreciate. Okay, it. I'm gonna get on. I'm gonna get on Yelp later. You guys have really opened my eyes. Do it. I need to to do reviews, but I also have a question for you guys. I mean, is there a future in which we don't have to do reviews anymore? I mean, is is there a universe in which 
we can find a different way to if, I don't know. It's like, it's just, everything is so judgment based. Oh, I, right. I, yeah. I, it gets tiresome. Even if it's positive judgment, it gets tiresome. Like, why does everything everybody does have to be commented on in any yeah. way? Like probably, some, I think it probably yeah. comes down to end stage capitalism in some way. Like, I, I, I think, yeah, like, I think it's about money at the end or like power. Yeah. So, yeah, but you're right. Course. I mean, we don't have good, we don't have other words or ways or means of saying, you know, of valuing people other than quote reviews. Can we talk just very briefly about the writer's room experience? Is that something that you'd be okay? Do is it was your first one scary? Do you love it? Is are they all different? You've been on because you've been in several, right? You've been in a bunch. I've really only been in two. This is only my second writer's room that I've been as a playwright turned writer or turned television writer or turned play, whatever would turn filmmaker. (laughs) What is it like being in a writer's room? Um, it is bizarre. Um, it's also kind of, on the one hand, it's kind of cool because you're like, oh, I don't have to carry this story by myself. Like, I don't have, you know, like, it's like having, you know, if there are five writers in the room, it's like having five brains, you know, like, you know, so you get to, um, think your way around an entire series really, or like uh, at least a season with five brains. And, and that's just like, that's really cool because you feel like you're, you feel like you're cheating. <laughs> you know, you feel like you're like, what'd you get from number three? You know, <laughs> um, but it, it, so that, that I think is really, really pretty awesome. And it, it, I think swims very much upstream of this um, the rugged American individualism, right? Like that whole narrative of like, you know, you have to do it yourself and you have to, you know, you're only, you're the only person who can make this happen. Like, you know, it's not, it's a collaboration, right? And it's, um, I don't know, you just, ah, it gives me warm feels. Like it, it really does give me like, oh good. Like I'm not in this alone. Like we're, we're doing something together. We're all trying to serve this one goal of telling the story and telling it well and i think that's that's really that's really gorgeous like i I really dig that this is not to say (laughs) that there isn't some like weird jockeying or like competitiveness or you know like that happens in the room but for the most part it's like everyone trying to work together toward um this common goal and that's really neat um, that the two rooms that I've been in, I feel like they could not be more different. <laughs> First of all, I only got, I could only get into TV writing because ironically of the pandemic, um, because suddenly everyone was like, oh, we have to do Zoom rooms. So I didn't have, have to like be in LA or whatever, wherever, you know, like I didn't have to be in a particular place in order to make something happen. I also teach full time. Like I, I, I teach full time. So it would have been really difficult for me. And I teach two hours away from my home. So it would have been really difficult for me to like work in a writer's room, drive two hours to Delaware where I teach and then drive back. Like that would have been insane. Right. So like the fact that I can zoom to Delaware teach my class and then zoom, <laughs> you know, zoom to, into the writer's room for three women with Showtime, right? Like that's, 
that's dope. So I'm, I'm like, great. This is proved to be a blessing, or you know, I don't know, a, a what's it, blessing silver lining. Yeah, right. Like it, it, um, that really worked. My first writer's room was run by a playwright, <laughs> so that was pretty awesome. Um, and there, it was three playwrights, and then the novelist, or not, she's not a novel, but well, she is now, but like she wrote the book that the series is based on, and she's incredible. Lisa Tadeo is amazing. Um, but her book, Three Women, um, you know, we adapted it for Showtime um, into a series for Showtime, and I, I, it was just a very apparently, and I didn't know this at the time, but like, First of all, Zoom room. So that's automatically different from like how it's normally done out there in Hollywood, right? Um, then the fact that there were three playwrights and an author, you know, <laughs> like it, there weren't any like TV writers in the room. Wow. Granted, the had written for TV, but she started out as a playwright, Whoa. right? So we all have that sensibility of like, let's talk about character. Like, let's like really dig into their backstory. And like, if you write the backstory for that character, you write the backstory for this character and we'll all come together and we'll talk about, blah, blah, blah. you know, like, and it was just a very sort of like, let's get our hands in the clay and like, blah, you know, um, and that feels very different from the room that I'm in right now which is more, I'm literally like the only playwright in the room. Actually, there's one other who has a theater background, but she started out in TV professionally, right? So everyone else is like TV. And so they're very fast talking. They're very like, and they like have a whole like system of boards. You know, we have boards. A lot of whiteboards and post-its. You have a pitch, put it on the board, blah, 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 right? And it's very sort of regimented and... um there's a calendar and, you know, you know, so it's, it's a little less, um, a little less loosey goosey <laughs> and a little more like I really had to sort of get acclimated to like, oh, y'all are just talking over each other and shit. Okay. Well, let me just, let me try to get this word in. Oh, let me, you know, okay. <laughs> like like, trying try to get my word in. Um, edgewise, I'm not, I'm not quite, quite used to that, but, um, but it also, I think, is a pretty is a pretty cool way to go about like um, plotting out story. Like there, it's very organized. Um, you know, uh, yeah. <laughs> I I don't know if this is what you're saying, but what it sounds like you're what what occurs to me as you're talking about that is that maybe like it's the difference between people who are approaching something as a and I don't want to say this with any value judgment but people who are approaching something as a product you mm. know versus I mean the the imp, impulse for the playwright is to uncover what it is while they're yeah. doing it right and and the journey not the destination right I mean, right the difference between yeah. yeah that's what it's the difference between and there's and I have to imagine there's lots of need for both of those approaches to good mm -hmm. writing yeah. Yeah. So yeah. you mentioned Tina Howe. Um, what other mentors have made uh, surviving this life easier for you? So many. Okay. <laughs> Lynn Nottage, like, has been so huge. Like, she has been such a huge, her and her husband, Tony Gerber, um, let me into their home. I was in, when I was at grad school, they, um, <laughs> Okay, so when I was at grad school, I had a master class that was being taught by Diana San, who 
is like besties with Lynn Nottage. They live two blocks from each other in Brooklyn. Like it's, you know, like it's a crazy connection, right? So um, when it came time to do an internship as part of my curriculum, I was like, well, I don't want to have to like go and like make photocopies at some theater company that like I may or may not be into, you know, like the work that they do. Like, I, I, I don't want to do that. Instead, how about I just follow a playwright I really respect around, you know, just shadow her and like assist her in like whatever she needs assistance with. Right. And I was like, I would love to follow Lynn Nottage around. I wonder if um, I went to Diana and said, hey, do you think Lynn would be interested in having an assistant for a semester that she would be into it? And she was like, yeah, I don't know, but I'll ask. And she did. And we want that. Meanwhile, I had to go clear it with um, with the head of the department to be like, who was Richard Wesley at the time, by the way, who is another like mentor, like oh, oh, that man. <laughs> Richard Wesley is a oh, he's just like such an incredible dude. So him, I went to him and I was like, hey, Richard, listen, I don't want to go do this board ass internship at whatever theater company. I really just want to follow Lynn Nottage around. If I can make that happen, can I, would that count? He's like, yeah, sure, whatever. (laughs) So I really was able to make that experience what I wanted it to be, like what I felt would be beneficial to me. Um, And when I met Lynn, it was just like a couple of weeks before she won her first Pulitzer um so yeah it was a very busy semester (laughs) like it was was a love fest you know like she's just such a warm ah just such a sweet warm individual you know and um she let me I mean I handled everything from like oh go shopping for my daughter's 10th birthday party right like um oh help with my taxes oh help me adapt this stage play for radio oh help I mean like I got to do like so many things with her and then like when she felt she didn't have enough work for me to do she let me tag along with her husband Tony who is a documentary um a documentarian and he you know like gave me a little office space in his you know like a little desk and everything and I got to you know I I just got to do so much with them they exposed me to so much and then later on like it didn't just stop after the semester it was like you know, I could ask for a letter of recommendation for a thing. Um, she, you know, nominated me for some award or other, recommended me for this job. You know, I'm pretty sure I got the Audible Commission because of her wow. and maybe David Henry Wong, who also is like... A mentor of yours, stop bragging, oh, Chisa. Oh my I, God. I know, I'm like, bragging because they're just so dope. I love these people so much. And they're just so many, so many people. The Dramatist Guild has been like a huge, does like, can an organization like count as a mentor? Because the Dramatist Guild is like hugely, hugely helpful um, to a lot of playwrights who are just like trying to get some traction. Um, Like, yeah, I mean, like people like. (sighs) You're blessed with mentors. I've been, I mean, a glut, like an embarrassing, like an embarrassment of riches, like as far as. Um, you know, mentors and, and people who helped me along. Uh, Stephanie Alain was like my film fairy godmother. <laughs> is that Tig Nataro's wife? Stephanie Alain is, uh, she's married to Stephen Bray, but oh. she is a, um, she is a, a producer, like a really badass producer, both in theater and wow. um, in Hollywood. Yeah, so she's produced, um, she did that um, uh, Streetcar Named Desire with Blair Underwood oh, in yeah. it. 
did um, uh, The Color Purple. She was one of the producers on The Color Purple. Like, you know, just so that. And then on the other end of things, on the other side of the of the country, she's doing um she her first film out of the gate was like Boys in the Hood. Oh right? shit. Yeah. And then um she did Hustle and Flow. She's she did Dear White People the movie and now she's producing the series. Um she's just she's just incredible and she is another one of these people who is like okay. I'm here. Who can I bring with me now? That's you know? fantastic. Like, just like, all right, I'm here. I'm holding the gate open That's for fantastic. like everybody. You know? And she just, ah, I mm, just, mm. I, <laughs> I just adore her, man. Oh, and my agent, my agent, Di Glazer, is the best. She is a boss, bitch. Okay, like that. She. I heard great I, things about Di. Di Glazer does not fuck about man. Like she. I remember when I was on the market for a new agent because my last one wasn't really working out so well. I feel like they didn't really quite know what to do with me. And so I told my friends, um, you know, I told my bestie from grad school, um, man, I think I need a new agent. She was like, you have to meet my agent. You have to meet my agent. I was like, all right. And I had already met with another guy who, you know, was pretty cool. And I was like, yeah, maybe, maybe. But I wasn't quite sold because he was sort of using product language to describe my plays and I was just like uh I don't know so um I met with Di and the minute the first thing she said to me when I sat down was I read your plays I love them I just want to find places that love them as much as oh shit that's a beautiful thing to say. it wasn't like it wasn't like um you know well I know what's hot on the market and I will tell you what to write so that you can get your plays done. It was like, no, you're already writing amazing shit. I'm going to find the perfect homes, you know, for, you know, where the people, the producers, the whoever, like where they get it. Right. And I was like, and that is the difference between a really, you know, like an, like a good agent and a great agent. Di Glazer is a great agent. And like, I, uh, uh, I, I just want to hug Do her. Do you just have like, her photo on your contact page? Is that her with a drink yeah. in her hand? Like a, a drink? Oh, I do. Yeah. I was like, I bet she loves yeah. her agent so much that that's a photo. Really it's a beautiful photo. Really that's so really special do. that you did that. I don't know. I just like those little touches. So. <laughs> well, I, she said, I want to honor your time because I told you that we'd only be talking for an hour. But I, I feel like crying right now because I love the way that you're talking about having an intentional approach to your career. And I feel like what happens to maybe even most people is just a like a frantic chasing of what's going to be the next thing re- without regard for whether or not it's going to be the right thing for that person. And I guess the reason it makes me tear up is the thought that you could do that. You know, you could just do that. You could have an intention for how you want your career to be. Not to say you have total control over it, but, and that you could. I know, I feel like I'm swinging from vine to vine, but. And that, and that you could, that the whole idea of where you're going starts and ends with you. Yeah. And that like, that for me, I, I totally agree, Gina. And what comes forward is there's something in you and Gina and I were both therapists. So we're like a little, well, I'll speak for myself. I'm a little like, I'm like, there's something in you. One that, 
that knows how to navigate and and find things that are going to be good for you, whether you feel like you're swinging from the vine or not. There's a navigational, inner navigational system that you have that is a very, very apparent. And it also brings collaborators to you. So there are people that are drawn to that and want to help you navigate. And that I think is intentional rather than someone which Gina and I talk about, pick me, choose me, love me, which never works anyway. But you have the op- a, 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 like a opposite of that. It's an inner navigational system that I don't think I'll speak for myself. A lot of people have maybe until way later in their, in their career or their life. So, wow, it's freaking inspirational. It's also a good study in, um, being intentional and, and not being like, not chasing some, some version of what you think is going to be the shit. You know what I mean? I guess it just helps to be ignorant of it. <laughs> Great. Whatever. I don't know. I don't I don't know. know. I'm unaware of what the proper protocol of, or like the proper right. channel or whatever, and just be like, ah, just carve my little pet over here. But that's, yeah, whatever it is, it's it's inspirational and working out, you know. So yeah. Anyway, it's been a pleasure thank talking you. to you. Thank you so ah, much. Thank you. Yeah. So much. Thank you for eating with us. If you liked what you heard today, please give us a positive five star review and subscribe and tell your friends. I Survived Theater School is an undeniable ink production. Jen Bosworth Ramirez and Gina Polici are the co-hosts. This episode was produced, edited, and sound mixed by Gina Polici. For more information about this podcast or other goings-on of Undeniable Ink, please visit our website at undeniablewriters.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thank you!